my mom tuned into the online feed last week, and I was preaching uh, the first part of Amos chapter 6, and she told me, she said to herself, oh no, not Amos again. <laughs> she was joking, of course. Uh, she, she enjoyed the message. Uh, she would let me know if she didn't, but she enjoyed the message. And um, mom, I love you. Um, uh, but it, it, her, her point was that Amos is kind of a heavy book. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of, uh, not a lot of hope. There's a lot of calling out the people for their sin, which had uh, kind of come to its completion. And, um, you know, I'll give you that. It, it's heavy. And it is kind of a, there's a lot of that calling out the sin stuff. But what we get when we look at this is we see God's heart. And we see God's heart uh, for his people. We see God's heart um, wanting them to turn from their sin. And so we learn. We learn lessons from this wayward nation, even though it's kind of a hard message. So we do look forward to learning from God's word, even though it's sometimes hard uh, for us when, we, when it points out our sin, too. Uh, but you are here. to you, you've, you've tuned in today, and you've come here not just to hear from God's word, but you came here to hear the results of ping-pong against the pastor from last week. You're just dying to know how did it go? How did it go? Okay, so uh, Gavin Motley's 14 years old. Very good ping pong player. Incredible. He brought his own paddle and he showed up. And uh, we warmed up and we were both ready to play. And the first game, Gavin beat me. And so we played a second game, kind of a best out of three. So we played the second game. Gavin beat me again, and then the third game, which wasn't so important at that point, he beat me a third time, three straight losses to Gavin. Then his, um, his cousin, if, uh, another student I know, Maverick Isidoro, 11 years old, uh, excellent ping pong player, um, 11 and a half, actually, so I looked it up in our, in our database just to make sure. Uh, he beat me the first game, second game, third game, straight losses to uh, to Maverick. So that was not, that, that was, uh, and they beat me fair and square. I have no excuses. Those guys are, they're, they're incredible. I played an exhibition match against Ryan Atwood. That went better in my favor. He's uh, kind of learning the game. So he did, he did well. He's actually picking it up pretty quick. Um, and then I played William Stortz, who's watching online. William, 18 years old. He's probably, what, six feet Five or so long arms, top spin. Um, so I was able to beat Mr. Stortz uh, the first game and the second and third game. So I beat him three straight. Now, William made it very clear to me when he left that he wants a rematch. And so I will, I, I will, and I actually need the practice because I asked for a rematch against the, the other guys. And so anyway, that's how that went. So I share that because you're curious, but also because we're, teaching, we're preaching about pride today. And I stand before you with a clear conscience. I have no pride. I've been humbled. I've been humiliated. Um, and so at least as it relates to the game of ping pong, um, and that's good news because my point today is that God hates pride. God hates pride. Verse 8 in our text says, The sovereign Lord has sworn by himself. The Lord Almighty declares, I abhor the pride of Jacob. And I'm just going to key in. This 
One phrase, I abhor the pride of Jacob. God hates pride. It is so repulsive to him. His heart hates human pride. Um, Really, pride, in essence, is the root of all sin. C.S. Lewis, in his, uh, his work, Mere Christianity, a great book. It was very influential in my faith journey when I was in college. Um, he has a whole chapter, a brilliant chapter, on pride. And Lewis says, It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other sin. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride really is the worst of sins because what it does is it, it places me up in an elevated place where really God belongs. In, in essence, pride displaces God. Psalm 10 says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Pride, when we have pride, it crowds God out. It pushes him out. C.S. Lewis in that chapter, he went as far as to say, As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. And his point was, when you encounter God, you encounter a being who is in every way superior to you. Holier, greater, uh, more uh, amazing in thought and action and power and everything. And, you know, pride is where I feel elevated. And when I compare myself to God, I need to, I, I have nothing to be proud of. I am in no way equal to or greater than God. And to know him fully, I need to know humility. I need to know what that is. James chapter 4 says, God opposes the proud. Proverbs 16 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 8 says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, says God. We want to know God. We want to experience God in our lives. Therefore, to do that, we need to also know pride and to see it, to turn from it, and to seek God's grace to rid ourselves of all pride. Let us pray. Father, may it be today we, uh, we come before your word again. We, we seek your heart. But we know, that, we know that you desire to transform us. We know that you desire uh, to take our hearts, which can be hard like stone, and make them soft, uh, soft flesh for you. And so we just pray in this time that you would mold us, that you'd show us what you want to show us, and that you would teach us. We thank you that you are so good and, and so loving that you walk with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Uh, two things this morning. I want to consider the sources of pride in our lives and kind of identify some of those. Some may resonate with you. Uh, So the sources of pride and then the remedy for pride, which God, thank God, gives us a remedy for our pride. But before I do that, uh, one caveat is often we'll say phrases like, I'm proud of you. Or I'm proud of my children. Or I'm proud of my, my coworkers. You know, I'm proud, proud of our worship team. We, we use this kind of phrase, uh, I'm proud of you. When we say that, what we mean is that we are deeply pleased. That, that something good has happened or something good has been accomplished. And we say, I'm proud of that. That's, that's an okay thing. That's a good thing. The same word, pride, or proud, in a different context, 
the pride that we're talking about today, the sinful pride that God hates, is about hubris, it's arrogance, it's a sense of self-importance or self-righteousness even. It's anytime we see ourselves higher, elevated above others, uh, for whatever reason, that's the pride that God hates. And really, defining pride is, in some ways, it's easier to look at the opposite of pride, which is humility, to, to see where we might lack humility, and then that's where you may be seeing this pride that God hates. Um, now, so, so but when somebody says, oh, I'm proud of you, or I'm proud of such and such, that's different. Although, to the extent that we draw importance or value from those things, so if I say I'm proud of my children, but I'm drawing I'm elevating myself because of that, then that actually is the bad kind of pride that God hates. So it's kind of a slippery slope, but it's two different concepts. But let's take a look at this. Um, First of all, the sources of pride. I want to think about individual sources and then collective sources. Uh, Individual pride is about my own strength and how good I am. And in the context of Amos, remember this same chapter last week, we're looking at these folks who... You know, they had so much wealth, and they had their fancy furniture, and they had their fine foods, and they are just, you know, just enjoying how uh, great they were and kind of flaunting their luxurious life uh, and how important they were. Pride, in essence, is competitive. And so C.S. Lewis, from that same chapter I mentioned, he says, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it, than the next person. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. And, and these folks, you know, they, they just were showing how wonderful all their stuff was. Imagine if you would, for a moment, if everybody in the world was given a hat, a baseball cap, and everybody in the world got the exact same hat, and you had to wear it. It was the global law. You have to wear your hat. And you went out and you said, I'm so proud of my hat. And someone would say, yeah, I got the same exact hat. So does every other person on this planet. We all have the same hat. There's nothing to be proud of. Unless your hat was uh, bigger or more colorful or different somehow than somebody else's. But everybody had the exact same thing. Nothing to be proud of. And so when we see things that we have or we have done that elevate us above others, that's where that can become a, a source of pride for sure. In verse 12 in our text today, at the end of verse 12, it says, You have turned justice into poison. And the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. These folks were living their life and they were not, they had no care for others. They were not administering justice or righteousness in any way. They had a complete lack of regard for others. When you elevate yourself individually because of your accomplishments or your things, it pushes others aside. Some examples of uh, individual pride, some sources uh, take, for example, family pride. Family pride sounds like this. My children are well-behaved, succeed in school, and so that must make me a better parent. People must be inspired by what a loving parent I am. God hates that kind of pride. There's job pride. I am a valuable person because I work hard. I produce good things. I am successful. My work is so important to society because I educate or medicate, or protect, or beautify, or invest, or steward, or God hates that kind of pride. There's religious pride. 
I'm a better follower of Jesus than others because I read the Bible more. I attend church more regularly than others. I fast during Lent. My theology is superior to most people. God hates that kind of pride. Jesus came to this earth and he went right after the people who had the religious pride, who were more religious uh, and better behaved than others. Jesus went right after them. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, those are good things. Shouldn't I read my Bible more and attend church and um, you know, have these spiritual practices? Yes. But not because you're so great, but because God is so good. So we pursue him with all of our heart. We, we read his word and study it and treasure it and meditate on it because it is so perfect and good, not because I'm better than someone else. Do you see the difference there? God, hates, God definitely hates that kind of pride. Schedule pride. I am self-disciplined and always on time, unlike, name your family member who's not as punctual as you are, you know, who you feel superior to, people who end up in the back of the sanctuary, that kind of thing. God hates that kind of pride. There's moral pride. I care for the poor and disadvantaged in ways that everyone else should. I am a true Christian, unlike others. That God hates that kind of pride. Political pride. My political views are clearly superior, and I look at people on the other side of the aisle, and I know that I'm a better person than they are. God hates that kind of pride. This financial pride. I'm not like uh, materialistic Christians who can't control themselves. You know, they're so selfish, so self-absorbed. Why can't they be more like me? I'm radically generous to the church and to other groups. I save, I tithe. You know, why can't people be more like me? God hates that kind of pride too. Any, any, any of these things or anything can become a source of pride. Even good things like family and like your work and, and, and being generous. These are good things. But when, they, when we use them to elevate ourselves above others and see ourselves superior that's when it becomes a very dangerous thing. Those are individual sources of pride. Now, there's also collective sources of pride, things that we find pride in together. Uh, for example, my nation's strength. Look at verse 13 in our text today. It speaks to you who rejoice in the conquest of Lodabar and say, did we not take Karanaim in our own strength? The key there, in our own strength. This is a nation who had great military victories. And they said, hey, look at what we've done. We're a powerful nation. We're doing pretty good. And that, that gave them a sense of nationalistic pride. Now, in a sense, these people, the nation of Israel, they really, there was good reasons to feel good about themselves because they were God's chosen people. God chose them of all the nations of the world to reveal his saving purposes to, to the whole world, to be a blessing to the earth. But they had taken that, and, and it became a source of, of sinful pride for the people. Instead of, instead of acknowledging that they were a chosen people, they saw themselves as a choice people. And for them, and for us, and for anybody, we need to remember, as 2 Timothy 1.9 says, God saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. It's about God's sovereign choice, not because of how good we are that God has chosen us. Uh, this type of nationalistic pride can be a danger in our world today, for sure. There is 
patriotism and Christian patriotism, and that's a, that can be a good thing. But there's also Christian nationalism, which can be a very dangerous thing and a form of idolatry. So what's the difference between patriotism and nationalism? And how do we know? Now, these terms are kind of hard to define because you know, Christian nationalism isn't... People are going to define that in different ways. And often people use that as a label or even an insult to others. So people don't typically go around and say, oh, I'm a Christian nationalist. They'll often, somebody will label you that because of something you say or do. Uh, but essentially, in nationalism, nationalism is the view, and I'm specifically talking about American Christians. Nationalism is the view that America is God's special tool, that America is the central actor. we got the main role in God's redeeming purposes in the world. And, and then, so we are a special tool because of that. America is. Therefore, in this view, Christian nationalism gives a really exaggerated, um, even a transcendent meaning to, to American history above all the nations of the world. Therefore, those who kind of hold these beliefs, beliefs see that fighting for America is equivalent in their minds to fighting for God. And there's a lot of sources of uh, Christian nationalism in our, our nation, all the way from the American Revolution and what it looked like then, and at, at times like World War II, seeing uh, America as God's agent uh, against the evils of the world. In, in more recent days, if you think about the Cold War, the Cold War was all about uh, the U.S. versus the Soviet Union. It was uh, democracy versus communism. And for many people, including Christian leaders, the language used to describe this was Christian values versus atheism. And therefore, when people saw all the political things going on through this spiritual lens of God versus atheism, what happened was the, the leaders in our nation who were strongest against communism were seen as Christian heroes. Whether or not they loved Jesus or were, you know, following scripture in any way. They were, because they were hard on communism, they were seen as Christian warriors. And even, you know, regardless of their faith. And, and so this type of elevating people and spirit, oh, kind of over-spiritualizing uh, political things continues, you know, to this day, even in, in various expressions of it. The issue is when, if Christian nationalism, that kind of pride comes into our lives, we can confuse the purposes of our nation with the, with the purposes of, of God, or the mission of our nation and the mission of God, as if my role as a citizen of heaven and my role as a citizen of this nation uh, become confused, such that, you know, is it my role as a Christian to preserve some version of American democracy? Um, now, don't get me wrong. So I believe we should work as citizens to preserve democracy and preserve our freedoms. But the mission of the church is to glorify God. The mission of the church is to glorify God and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Colossians 1 says, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's God's mission, to rescue us from sin and bring us into His kingdom of light. That's God's mission. Now, democracy is, is wonderful, 
But that mission of God spreads in all kinds of systems. Think about the nation of China. The gospel of Jesus Christ is spreading like crazy under a communist regime. And I've been to China and I've worshipped with Chinese Christians. And when they come to faith in Jesus, their first impulse isn't, wow, you know, Jesus has saved me from my sins. We should topple this communist regime. That's not their first impulse. You know what their first impulse is? Their first impulse is, Jesus has saved me from my sins. I must proclaim this good news to others. What, what, what we need to see is that America as a nation actually could collapse um, and the kingdom of God would still prevail at the same time. Now, I want our nation to be strong and I want our nation to be a place of justice and righteousness, but America is not the church. America is not God's chosen people. The church is the church. We are God's chosen people by his grace who have responded by faith to the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. So my point is that patriotism is good, and yet and our freedoms are wonderful. It, that, that can be a good thing, but nationalism can lead to pride and idolatry very quickly. So we just need to watch out for that. Because there's individual sources of pride, there's collective sources of pride, and God hates pride. So what do we do? God has given us the remedy for pride. And the remedy for pride is humility. Jesus said in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Of all the things we can learn from Jesus, he could say, Learn from me, for I am powerful. Learn from me, for I am holy. Learn from me, for I am perfect. He says, Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. He wants us to learn from his humility. As St. Augustine put it, he said, there are three things essential to grasping the truth about God. The first is humility. The second, humility. The third, humility. And the path of humility is a downward path, and it's very countercultural. We live in a world of, of self, um, self-esteem and self-promotion, and humility is about putting myself lower and lower. So how are we going to find this path of humility? Here's our takeaway, and here's the assignment for this week. It's, it's, it's uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 has it all laid out for us. So what I want you to do this week is read the Romans chapter 12, read it over and over, and then try to live that out on the front lines of your life. The front lines of your life is everywhere where God has put you, every day, in your place of work, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your school. That's your front line, and you can live it out everywhere you are. Because Romans 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. It's about getting away from this pattern of of pride and moving myself up and understanding the will and the way of God. It's the way of humility. Let me give you some some snippets here. Verse 3 of Romans 12 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Don't think of yourself so high. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not the one with the haughty spirit, not the one with the proud spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Again, Romans 12 and verse 10, it says, honor one another above yourself. It's putting others above you. Verse 13 says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Focusing on the needs of others is a great path to humility. It's a great remedy for pride because I'm not focused on me and how great I am, but I'm focused on serving others. Again, Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. It's all about loving other people. And pride is, pride is, is not compatible with love. Very famous passage, Romans, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love is not proud. So if we want to get rid of pride, we love others. And the chapter goes on. Romans chapter 12, that's our assignment. Let's read that. Let's reflect on it. And let's live it on our front lines to live lives of humility, not lives of pride. Because God hates pride. Uh, There's a a great little bit from Christian author uh, Beth Moore. Some of you have done her uh, Bible studies. But she writes this. My name is Pride. I am a cheater. I cheat you out of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. I cheat you out of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you out of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you out of healing because you're too, you're too full of me to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you're wrong. I cheat you of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than out a window. I cheat you of genuine friendship because nobody's going to know the real you. I cheat you of love because real romance demands sacrifice. I cheat you of God's glory because I convince you to seek your own glory. My name is Pride. I am a cheater. You like me because you think I'm always looking out for you. Untrue. I'm looking to make a fool of you. God has so much for you, I admit. But don't worry. If you stick with me, you'll never know. Let's pray. Father, I come to you and I ask for freedom from pride. I confess and I repent of pride. I know how offensive pride is to you. I acknowledge that my pride has caused me to look down on others and exalt myself. God, I know that I cannot change without your power. So forgive me for all my areas of pride. Help me to humble myself and exalt you in my thoughts, in my words, and in my actions. I thank you for the gift of your grace that saves me. I thank you, Father, that you are the source of every good thing and everything I have. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.